0: Icon. I didn't even have to say anything, and everyone just kind of started to quiet down with the music. That's great. Um, this morning, I have the great pleasure uh, to introduce uh, a dear friend and a mentor and a leader of mine. Um, Luke Frank was born in Texas and raised in Idaho by his parents alongside his 11 siblings. His folks painted a beautiful picture of what Christ's love can do in us and through us and how to love people well. Luke met his wife, Heidi, at Seattle Pacific University, and the Lord has blessed them with five children who are slowly turning into adults. Um, Luke led me and many others faithfully as the youth pastor at Antioch Bible Church um, for many years. Uh, He's currently connecting and engaging with local churches through Seattle's Union Gospel Mission, as Callum mentioned a little bit some of you may have seen his face around. Um, with, uh, he's got a strong passion and conviction to love and meet the needs of our homeless neighbors. Um, on top of being my youth pastor, Luke led my wife Ashley and I, um, I didn't forget her name, I was thinking about something else, <laughs> um, through premarital counseling um, and married us three and a half years ago. Um, and let me tell you, this guy is a hoot, um, having grown up with him for 15 years or something. Um, he's just a great guy. Um, Luke has shared with me, um, the same beautiful picture of Christ through the way that he leads with authority, yet with so much humility, and the way that he obeys God's calling for him, even when there are doubts, and through the way that he laughs and connects with people, um, whether in celebration or hardship. Um, Luke's passion is to help others live into their God-given identity. Uh, I personally think that he's done a pretty swell job of carrying this out, um, I can, oh, never mind, Icon, please welcome Luke Frank um, to teach us and to lead us, um, and I'll let him do the, uh, the football team thing that they do. Thank you, Nate. Appreciate it, man.
1: I was going to wait and see what you were going to say. I can, I was like, man, finish that out, man. What is he going to say? We might have to do a little more marriage counseling if he's forgetting uh, names, so we might have to take that back up again, but... Um, yeah, so great, to, uh, so great to be here with you guys this morning. Um, it is an honor to be with brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, I love this picture of the church when you can kind of get out and see what, what God is doing in other communities and other church bodies um, across our community and city. So great to be here. Um, there was a couple things I wanted to mention about myself. Some of those were, were mentioned in the bio. Um, but I was competitive as a child in everything. Um, I had a desire to be perfect in everything and had a deep desire to make my parents proud of me. So I developed this belief system that I, what I received had to be earned. And striving to do, do, do became my lifestyle. Um, so my walk with Jesus was important to me, but my ability to be real about what was going on in my heart and head were covered by self-reliance and having it all together, that mantra. That mantra. So I think this is important for you to know a little bit about me before I walk into this message this morning. Uh, I truly believe with all of my heart that we serve a sovereign God. And so when there's a message that um, when they came and asked me and there's a message that the Lord put in my heart, I truly believe for this moment that you are in individually and as a church, there's a reason why the Lord wants to... um, have this message shared with you this morning and so I pray that you will take that um, to heart personally. Um, the last four years of my life have been trans- a transformational journey of learning to walk in my true identity rather than living in the false identity of my fears, guilt, and shame. Um, there have been so much healing and freedom that has come from learning how to listen to his spirit and to trust and he was changing so much and is changing so much about the, the way that I think, the way that I think. So I want to read to you guys a verse really quickly before I jump into our topic on joy this morning. And uh, I want to read this to you guys. This is a, a passage that I always read before I preach because it reminds me of why I am here Um and it's from 1 Corinthians 2, one through five. And it says that when I come to you, brethren, I do not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I am with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. But my message and my preaching are not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but instead on the power of God. Amen? So let's go ahead and and pray, and then we'll jump in uh, to our topic this morning. Father God, um, thank you, Lord, that we can come into your presence. And we thank you that in your presence is where you change us, you transform us, you change the way that we think. You change the way we think about you. You change the way we think about ourselves. And you change the way we think about others. God, I'm thankful that you are a God that is not only faithful and powerful, but you're relational and you're intimate and you love vulnerability and you love when your children come and sit at your feet and say, here's where I'm at, because then you get an opportunity to respond from your truth, and it's your truth that sets us free. So Lord, thank you for that reminder this morning, and we ask these things in your powerful name, amen. All right, well, our topic this morning is on experiencing joy, so I will say that the message I have this morning is not a message that I've preached before, nor is it um, in the same kind of way that I have preached messages before. There's a, some unique things about it. So um, I always like that because, like Kala was talking about, we do serve a creative God. And um, there is creativity in how he asks us to, to do things every single day. So excited to, to be here with you. So sociologists and anthropologists say that the two highest goals of people are to be immortal and permanently joyful. That's the two highest um, desires of people. So the question is, what is joy? What is joy? Why is joy essential to our life as followers of Jesus Christ? And are you experiencing joy? Is it, is it possible to experience a lifestyle of joy? So what will our approach be in experiencing joy this morning? I'm going to read to you 20 of the 400 plus uh, verses that talk about joy. Now some of you are thinking, how are you going to get through 20 verses? You'll see. Um, I'm going to share one brief truth about joy from each verse and then a couple overall reflections, common threads at the end once we work through that idea of these uh, verses on joy. And then we're going to spend a moment defining the biblical definition of joy. Then we're going to spend some personal time hearing from the Spirit of God about what he wants us each to personally experience about joy this morning. Because I believe I could sit up here and I'm never going to change anybody here. My words are not going to transform you. We're not going to, our words are not going to transform each other. But it's the power of God that transforms us. So I know that God speaks in all kinds of different ways and he shows up and he's going to speak. And then I'm going to close up our time by giving a practical application to the church about how we can live this out in fellowship with a little twist on from my perspective of working at uh, the Union Gospel Mission with our homeless neighbors. But I think there's going to be something that's very specific to this church body for this time this morning. So let me go ahead and start out with our um, key verses Galatians 2.20 Galatians 2.20 You won't have time to turn to all of these (laughs) So the better thing is just to hear I want you to really focus in What is said about joy And really the source of joy In in this passage, okay So the Galatians 2.20 says the fruit of the spirit Is love, joy, peace Patience, kindness, goodness Faithfulness and self-control So the thought is joy is produced by his spirit. Joy is produced by his spirit. John 17, 13 says, but now I come to you and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. So the thought is joy belongs to him. Psalm 16, 11 says, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. So the thought of the day is joy is in his presence. Joy is in his presence. Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. So the thought is his joy is my strength. Psalm 5.11 says, but let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. The thought is joy is in God, my refuge. Joy is in God, my refuge. Psalm 25 says, may we shout for joy over your salvation. Thought is joy is in his salvation. Psalm 21, six, for you have made him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. Again, we see that joy is in his presence. Psalm 43, 4, then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. The thought is, God is my joy. Psalm 63, 7, for you have been my help, and the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. The thought is, joy is that my God is my help. Psalm 71, 23 says, My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also which you have redeemed. Joy is that I am redeemed. Psalm 92, 4 says, For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the work of your hands I sing for joy. Joy is present in all that He has made. Ecclesiastes 2:26. For to the one who pleased him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. The key thought is joy is a gift of God to his people. Now I hope that you're starting to see a little bit of a theme as we're getting into this. I hope that as you're hearing these verses and you're hearing the source of what joy is, I hope that you're starting to gather a little bit of a theme. Luke 1 And my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on my humble estate of his servant. The key thought is joy is in my God, who is my savior. Matthew 5, 12, a few left. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Key thought, joy is in our future reward of heaven. John 3, 29, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. The thought is joy is the voice of the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Our joy is complete in him. Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the key thought is joy is found in the presence and in receiving from the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Key thought, joy is given to you by the God of hope. James 1, 2, and 3, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Key thought, joy comes in his provision for what you need. Joy comes in his provision for what you need. Last two, 1 Peter 1, 8, though you have not seen him, You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. So joy is found in the salvation of your soul. And the last one, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 17. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So the key thought is, Joy is God's will for you. Now, what are the key observations that I want to make from those passages? What's amazing is there's over 400 verses on joy. So if you want to do a study on joy, it's super powerful. I think it's powerful that it comes the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I think what's interesting is that you see love first and then you see seven attributes follow. And I think unless you experience the love of Christ, you can't experience those others that follow the joy. But here's what's interesting. Here's some key observations. Joy is neither created by you, manufactured by you, or dependent on you. Joy is a present reality and it exists in fullness for you to receive. You cannot manufacture it. You cannot create it. So what's the implication of that truth? The burden of being not good enough to live in it authentically every day, every moment is not your burden to carry. Sometimes you go around and you think, man, I just don't feel joyful. And that's why I asked the question before you started, do you feel joyful? Do you experience joy on a daily basis? Because sometimes we try to manufacture it And the burden's not on you to manufacture. You are free to receive as a gift instead of having to earn or work harder to achieve it. The second point, the common theme is joy is found in his presence. How many times did we hear that in his presence? This is gonna be a key thing that we talk about today because you can either be in his presence or you can be separated. And even if you know him, as your Lord and savior, there can be separation in your relationship. But joy is found in his presence, who he is. Go back and and if you go back and look at those verses, you will hear a lot about who he is, what he's done for us, what he is doing for us, what he has promised to do for us. Joy is not found in correct theology, a correct understanding, or a perfect definition of joy. That will not give you joy, just to know it with your head. It is found in a relational experience with the living God. So what are the implications of that truth, that joy is found in his presence? The implication is, are we actually living in his presence or are we just talking about our biblical understanding of this way of living? If we are not experiencing joy, maybe we are not living in his presence currently. Can we be doing all the right things and still not be living in his presence? I think that's possible. Because if we're not experiencing the fruit of the spirit, we have to ask, why? Why do I not feel that? Why do I not not experience that? So I wanna go ahead and show you guys uh, a quick video. This is a, a definition, I think you guys will enjoy it, of joy. I'll, I'll get down here, so uh, let's see. Oh, actually it's over on the side, so we're good. So uh, go ahead and, and turn your attention to this video. We'll play it on joy and then we'll talk about a couple things that stand out. If you have something to write with, you can write some down as comes to mind. But.
2: Being in a good mood is really great, and most languages have lots of words to describe the experience, like happy, cheerful, joyful, and so on. The same goes for the languages of the Bible. In ancient biblical Hebrew, there is a variety of words, like simcha, sason, or gil. In the Greek New Testament, there is kara, euphersune, or agaliasis. Each word has its own unique nuance, but they all basically refer to the feeling of joy and happiness. Now, what makes these biblical joy words interesting is noticing the kinds of things that bring happiness and also seeing how joy is a key theme that runs through the whole story of the Bible. Let us start with sources of joy. On page 1 of the Bible, God says that this world is very good. and So, naturally, people find joy in beautiful and good things of life like growing flocks or an abundant harvest on the hills. The poet of Psalm 104 says a good bottle of wine is God's gift to bring joy to people's hearts. People find joy at a wedding or in their children. There is even a Hebrew proverb that compares the joy that perfume brings to your nose with the joy a good friend brings Mm. to your heart. However, human history is not just a joy fest. The biblical story shows how we live in a world that has been corrupted by our own selfishness. It is marked by death and loss. And this is where biblical faith offers a unique perspective on joy. It is an attitude God's people adopt Not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. So, when the Israelites were suffering from slavery in Egypt, God raised up Moses to lead them into freedom. And the first thing the Israelites did was sing for joy. Even though they were in the middle of a desert, they were vulnerable, the promised land was still far away, they rejoiced anyway. Later biblical poets looked back on this story and they remembered how the Lord caused his people to leave with joy, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. This joy in the wilderness this was a defining moment, a way of saying that the joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles, but by their future destiny. This theme appears later in Israel's story, when Israel suffered under the oppression of foreign empires. The prophet Isaiah looked for a day when God would raise up a new deliverer like Moses. That is when those redeemed by the Lord will return to Zion with glad shouts, with eternal joy crowning their heads, happiness and joy will overtake them. And while the Israelites waited, they chose joy to anticipate their future redemption. This is why it is significant that when Jesus of Nazareth was born, it was announced as good news that brings great joy. We are told that Jesus himself rejoiced and gave thanks to God his Father when he began to announce the kingdom of God. He even taught his followers the same joy in the wilderness, saying, when people reject you or persecute you for following me, rejoice. Be very glad because your reward is great in heaven. After his death and resurrection, Jesus commissioned his followers to go out and announce the good news that he was the risen king of the world. And as they did so, the early Christian communities were known for being full of joy, even when they were persecuted. Like when the Apostle Paul was sitting in a dirty Roman prison, he could say that he's chosen joy, even if he gets executed. He called this the joy of faith, or joy in the Lord. He believed it was the gift of God's spirit, a sign that Jesus' presence is with you inspiring hope in the midst of hardship. And when you believe that Jesus' love has overcome death itself, joy becomes reasonable in the darkest of circumstances. Now, this doesn't mean that you ignore or suppress your sorrow. That's not healthy or necessary. Paul often expressed his grief about missing loved ones or losing friends or his own freedom. He called it being full of sorrow and yet rejoicing. As he acknowledged his pain, he also made a choice to trust Jesus that his loss wouldn't be the final word. This is very different from the trite advice to turn that frown upside down. Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. And that's what biblical joy is all about.
1: Amen. Um, If some of you aren't familiar, Bible Project has some phenomenal videos, um, just about everything, and studies of of certain books of the Bible really lays it out really well. Um, but what are a couple observations that that you made, uh, maybe about this video or about joy, or maybe a different understanding than maybe what you saw joy as before um, i I love that quote, "an attitude God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promises. So that word can be um, that word uh Joy can actually be called experiencing grace. There's a a part that ties it into that, like almost to experience grace is this idea of, of joy. I love how he said, life is full of sorrow, yet we rejoice in the fullness of his presence or abide in the truth of who he is, how he sees you, what he has done for you, and the promises he has in store for you. It is a deep abiding trust that this connection with him produces. And that is what's transformational and life-giving. So have you chosen joy? Remember I talked about it can't be manufactured. So it's there, it's available, but how do we actually experience that joy? How do we actually experience it if it's, if it's available for us to receive and we need to choose that? How do we do that? I think there's one word that speaks so clearly about this biblically, and it's the word abide. The word abide, I think, is key in this. So I'm going to um, read this, couple verses of this section, but I would encourage you to read the whole at some point. But it's from John chapter 15. I'm going to read just a couple verses. You can turn with me there if you'd like to. Uh, Let's see. John chapter 15, verses four and five. It says this, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, And I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me, he can do nothing. So Jesus simply tells us, abide in me and I in you, for apart from me, you can't do anything. So can we produce the fruit of joy apart from him? Scripturally, we can't. It's impossible. So what does that word abide mean? Because I I know most of us have heard it before. But that word just basically means to remain, to stay connected. It's kind of like a life union. If you think of a baby inside of her mother with the umbilical cord, there's no way that that baby can survive without the umbilical cord. It is the life giver of that child, everything it needs to survive comes through that umbilical cord because it is connected to the mother who is the source of everything. If you think of that picture of us with Christ, that is the picture. Abiding, remaining, staying connected. In this age, it might be your cell phone and the power cord for the young people. That might make a little more, oh, I get it. You have this phenomenal iPhone that does all these things, smartphone, but without the power cord, can't do anything. It's useless. Once it goes out, you have this beautiful, all this capability, but without power, it does nothing. That is the act of abiding, abiding in him. So in other words, if we abide in Christ, the entire kingdom of God is not only with us, it's within us, the Holy Spirit. So abiding, according to Dr. John Piper, is the act of receiving and trusting all that God has and is for us in Jesus Christ. The act of receiving and trusting all that God has and is for us in Christ Jesus. A person doesn't learn to abide. So you're not gonna go to a book on abide and say, oh, I'm gonna read it and then I'm gonna learn how to abide. A person abides And then they learn what happens as a result of abiding. So let's personally observe and experience what happens when we abide in life union with Christ. The key is you got to get alone with God. You have to get alone with God. That's what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If I only talk during prayer then how can I listen? And if I don't listen, how can I hear? And if I don't hear, then how can I understand his perspective? And if I don't understand his perspective, then how can I be transformed? So many times when we get alone with God, we do all the talking. And we don't give the moment to be alone with God and allow him to speak to us too because that's what the Holy Spirit within us guiding us into truth. Do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to have a few moments. We're going to experience this getting alone with God and just hearing what God wants to say about certain topics even this morning. Because like I said, I can stand up here and I can say things that the Lord has put on my heart. But I believe that there's things that the Lord wants to say to each of you personally where you're at in your life. And there may be something that the Lord puts on your heart that it's just what you need to know. And I know God shows up. So what I would like you guys to do is let's go ahead and just, uh, if you can close your eyes. Um, we're just going to take a moment of prayer. I'm going to lead us through um, some prayer. And as the spirit of God puts things on your heart, on your mind, you can write those down. You can remember those. Um, but I'm just going to lead us in a time of prayer. Amen. Sometimes we just need to sit and reflect. And allow there to be some Selah moments to reflect. So let's, let's pray. Lord, I'm reminded of that story with Mary and Martha, how you came into the house and Mary just wanted to sit at your feet. And Martha had all these things that she needed to do. And you never condemned her for that. There was a lot of things that needed to be done. But yet you said, this is more important right now that Mary sits at my feet. And Lord, we sit at your feet this morning. And Lord, we ask you, what do you want me to know about joy? Lord, me personally, what what do you want me to know, Lord, about joy this morning? Lord, what, what is keeping me from being joyful? Lord, if there's anything in my life that is keeping me from receiving the joy that you have for me, can you bring that to my mind? What is keep me, keeping me from living and experiencing joy right now in my life? Lord, whatever that is that's keeping me from experiencing that joy, Lord, would you take that burden from me? You never intended for me to carry that. And you want to take that from me. Lord, I pray that you would take that from me. And Lord, what do you want me to receive in this moment? As you have taken that away from me, Lord, what is it that you want me to receive? What is it that you want me to know in this moment right now? Lord, we're thankful for the way that your spirit speaks to us in so many ways takes us back to the word, takes us back to your truth, takes us back to pictures in our head where you remind us of things. You take us, you put words on our minds, you remind us of truth that you've taught us. Lord, we're talking a little bit about abiding. What's keeping us from completely abiding in you? What's keeping us from connecting Completely with you, Lord. God, as you bring that to our heart, I pray, Lord, that you will let us know what is the lie in that thing that's keeping us from abiding, truly abiding in you. What is the lie that maybe we've believed? And Lord, more importantly, what is your truth? What do you want us to know so that we can truly abide with you and to remain in you, and to to be able to receive everything that you want to give us? as your children. Lord, thank you that you are a God that not only hears us when we call out to you, but you're a God that speaks. Lord, we thank you this morning for this time. Amen. All right, I would challenge you in some of those things that maybe uh, you might have heard or some of those things that came to your mind or some of the truth that God took you back to or reminded you of to sit in those things a little bit today. Sit in some of those things this week. Um, There's only one who can transform you and set you free. And my thing is, I never want to get to the end of this life and say, what if? What if? What if I had truly just lived out what what he put in front of me to do? What if? Um, So I want to share something very practical about Joy with you as a local church in this community. Um, This information comes from a book by Michael Dye called The Church, Helping or Healing. Um, In my work with our homeless neighbors in greater Seattle, we believe that at the root of homelessness is broken relationships. Um, However, healing comes through healthy relationships, but many times the barriers of trauma, addiction, mental health issues can make the ability to trust and to change those belief systems that have been rewired in our brain very difficult. Um, So how can the church be a part of the solution to help promote healing within our church family and with our homeless neighbors? And I'm going to say specifically, even within this church family, think about the idea of promoting healing with this idea of joy in this church family Um, and this again comes from this book there's a beautiful section I wanted to share it with you so the most powerful tool the church can use to restore a wounded and addicted person is through the healing powers of joy wounded people have found a way to cope and to function which usually becomes habitual it is imperative for churches and individuals to have not only an understanding of human self-destructive behavior, but also to understand of what brings healing and freedom. It comes down to the power of joy through relationships with God and people. So how can churches apply joy to help hurting and broken people? I love the story of in Luke 15, the prodigal son. Do you see joy anywhere in that story? Where do you see it? When the son comes back home and the father is looking for him and he runs out to him and he gives him a hug. Don't forget that that's your story. That is our story. That's my story. That's your story. God is always glad to see you and be with you. As a matter of fact, I'll I'll take a little break. I had a moment where I asked God one time, what's something about you I don't know that you want to show me about yourself? I had never asked that question in 44 years of my life. I had never asked the question, God, what's something about yourself? As if I knew everything about this mysterious God that we serve. And I'm, I'm praying and also my mind goes to this lake that I grew up loving and I'm out there skipping rocks and I know it's me as a boy and I know it's Jesus and all we're doing is laughing, hitting each other on the side, skipping rocks, probably talk about who skipped the furthest But in that moment, I broke down because what the Lord said is to me is, you don't know that I enjoy being in your presence. And at that moment, I broke down because in my head, I knew that was true. I could have told anybody, anybody in the church or outside the church, that's true. Jesus wants to be in your presence. But I had never experienced that. He had never shown that to me in that kind of a way that he enjoyed just to be in my presence. He could be anywhere in the world. I always felt like God was like, man, I got a war over in Iraq right now. I got to deal with. I got this going on in the nation's capital. I got to deal with. We'll get some time to hang out. I'll be back. But for him just to be, I, let's skip rocks, was an experiential truth I had not known to that point. God is always glad to see you and be with you. One of the reasons we might get so attached, oh, this is interesting. One of the reasons we might get so attached to pets is that they're always glad to see us no matter how messed up we are. Isn't that true? It's like the sign that reads, Lord, help me to be the kind of person my dog thinks that I am. I love that. The joy center is one of the parts of the brain that could continue to help heal and to grow throughout a lifetime. Being in a safe group that knows you for real and yet is always glad to see you and be with you is healing. It alone can change and heal negative belief systems and behaviors. That's brain science. But that's what God talks about. I'm gonna transform your mind. The opposite of joy is disgust. And disgust is experienced when someone is not glad to see you or be with you and it can result in rejection and shame. Communicating that there's something wrong with me. Shame is our most destructive emotion. Most therapists who work with self-destructive, addictive clients have concluded that what drives destructive behaviors is shame. Shame is our most powerful, heart-wounding emotion resulting in negative, distorted beliefs about God and about myself. And reprogramming those negative, self-sabotaging beliefs is primary, and that's real recovery. Some of the most common shame-driven beliefs are, I'm bad, I'm not good enough, something's wrong with me, I don't deserve good things, I'm a failure. Reprogramming those wounds happens through God's love penetrating our heart which usually occurs through people who are genuinely glad to see us no matter how messed up we are. That is what a family is. That is what a church is. This is the reason the church needs to be safe and free of judgments. People at a safe church are always glad to see you. Even if you don't measure up or even if you don't exactly believe what they believe, they're glad to see you. When we genuinely care about people as Jesus did, our joy will naturally result in healing. On the other hand, a person or a church can also amplify these kinds of wounds by communicating rejection. Rejection is one of our worst fears. It creates heart wounds that can last a lifetime because rejection also produces shame. And they say that's why church wounds can take so long to heal. Because there's such a rejection that you feel When when things happen sometimes. Can you fake joy? Brain scan research has shown that when someone is genuinely glad to be with us as opposed to someone who just smiles and pretends, the effects are quite different. The scans show that only the genuine energy lit up the area of joyful identity. In other words, you can't fake it. People know when you're genuinely joyful to see them or not. You know how we know that? Because we know it when people do it to us. The power of joy. Joyful love for another has to be from the heart and the vibes we give off don't lie. Our heart sense it. So in closing, I want to say this. Ed Corey, co-author of Joy Starts Here sums up his view of the mission of the church. This is really powerful, I'm gonna end with this. We are all apprentices to joy and healing and are each somewhere in the process of allowing Jesus to initiate, renew, and continually remove the hindrances that keep us from experiencing the full measure of his relational joy. This is our mission and the mission of the church. And as we learn to lay down our claims of strength and power and perfection and we learn to acknowledge and respond tenderly to our own weaknesses as well as the weaknesses of others, the fears that can make a church unsafe and hinder healing will diminish. When we share in the joy of Jesus and the wisdom of the generations around us and allow his peace to rule in us in all situations, healing thrives. Lives change and invitations to joy spread contagiously to others outside the walls of the church. This is our call. This is our hope. And this is the mandate that many of us are beginning to see fulfilled. Joy and healing are our birthright, our commission, and our identity. Church, we must learn to truly abide to remain in his presence and experience the joy that heals us and works through us to heal others. The question is, are you going to choose to receive today? It's in fullness. It's already there. It's just, will we abide? Will you choose to abide today? I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then I'll have Ben come up. Father God, thank you, Lord, for your powerful message. Lord, sometimes it seems so simple. And yet you remind us that it is difficult because there are hard things that we walk through every day and naturally we want to be self-reliant. But you are a God in your love that says, I want you to depend on me. Even your children in the desert You had to say, every day I'm going to provide the manna for you. Because I don't want you to be dependent on yourself. You have to depend on me every day to show up. And Lord, that's the same thing you're doing with us today. Lord, teach us. Continue to teach us what it means to abide. To remain in your presence. Lord, give us the joy that we need to abide. We ask these things in your powerful name.
2: This teaching was recorded as part of our current sermon series at Icon Church. During our weekly gatherings, we move from the teaching to a time of response. While we recognize it may be hard to capture that as you listen online, we encourage you to take a moment to reflect on and respond to what the Spirit might be telling you in response to what you've heard. For more resources and to find out how you can join with us on gathering on Sundays, visit iconchurch.org. And as we say each week, Christ is all, and we are His.